Thanks. Uh, my name's Tim, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Tim. Uh, I think I heard rightly that there might be uh, a couple of new people in the room. There may be new people that didn't announce themselves as such. And uh, just a, a little word to those of you who may be new. Um, uh, the topic of this meeting is some dark corner of AA law. Uh, so don't take this as representative of any other AA meeting. Um, there are 900 or so groups in London. And my experience when I was new was that there was a wide range of groups. I needed to attend a wide range of groups to work out if I was in the right place in the first place and where my natural home was within AA. Uh, it took a while to thaw out. There were lots of new impressions to take on board, lots of voices, lots of different views, and I needed to take some time to let that sink in. Um, but what I can say, uh, the most important thing I can say is that because of the effectiveness of Alcoholics Anonymous, I haven't had a drink in over 25 years. Uh, I was 21 when I got to AA. I was dying of alcoholism. I looked like a ghost. And AA works. Uh, it's worked on my alcoholism because it solved my underlying problems. And my underlying problem was that I spent my whole life consciously separated from other people. I thought, I was over here, you're over there, some of you are useful to me, but most of you are my enemies one way or another. You are a threat, or you're in the way at the very least. I spent my whole life separated from humanity, but desperately lonely and wanting to connect with it. And when I drank, I felt connected, temporarily until the problems piled up and uh, I didn't have much to start with when I started drinking so it didn't take long for alcohol to strip everything away from me. Uh, the other thing which is possibly useful to know if you're new or maybe for other people is how do I know I'm an alcoholic and not just a heavy drinker? Two features, feature number one when I drink, there is no controlling the amount. How can I tell? I woke up every morning wishing I hadn't drunk as much as I did the night before, but that knowledge that I drank too much, that bad things happened, had no impact whatsoever on the amount that I drank. I knew, as I was drinking on occasion, um, that I mustn't drink the remainder of the bottle of gin. I mustn't get anywhere near <laughs> the third bottle of wine. I did it fully aware of what I was doing. I did it fully aware of if I drink more this evening, I'm going to go into that dark place, I'm going to start becoming mischievous and destructive and I'm going to need to get out of here, away from you, to some mysterious place over there where the excitement is really happening. And knowing that darkness lay beyond that line but crossing it anyway. Knowledge does not stop me from drinking far more than is good for me. Uh, the second feature which makes my drinking alcoholic drinking as opposed to just idiotic drinking is that with that full knowledge, I would have the first drink in the first place. And this would be after having months of being stone-cold sober and rebuilding something of a life. So starting to build bridges, starting to re-establish relationships with family, starting to re-establish relationships with friends, working for money, 
for the first time in my life, lots of things becoming better and yet starting to drink again. So starting the very thing which had left me a messy pool in the middle of the floor in the first place. Left to my own devices, I would drink again. The ability for my mind to create a story about reality which is so intolerable, I might as well die, is intact to this day. It takes every ounce of AA to detach me cell by cell from my own story about my life. And then I can breathe, then I can live, then I can have relationships with people, I can have a career, I have a family, I discharge all the obligations I need to discharge in my life. But it is contingent on me having AA at the absolute centre of my life. And that's not a welcome thing for people to hear very often, but it's at the centre of my life because I've tried everything else. I've tried all sorts of different combinations and dipping one toe in or two toes in. I didn't stop relapsing in AA until I grabbed it with both hands. But here's the paradox. The more central AA is in my life, the more fully I'm able to live in all other areas of my life because I'm relieved of what Chuck Chamberlain calls the obsessions of the mind. I can stay wrapped up in stuff in my own head all day and not even realise it. Thinking that the film that is playing in front of me is reality and it bears no relation to what is going on. But with AA at the centre of my life, I don't need to live in that space. I can live in actual reality. And this is, I think, closely connected with Tradition 6. Um, talking about the traditions, I always come at them from two angles. There's how I've experienced their application within AA. And then there's the spiritual principles which underlie the traditions and how I apply them in my life. Um, I've been given by my sponsor a set of 36 spiritual principles, the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the 12 concepts. So this, the 12 steps are there to clear away my past and re-establish my proper place in the universe. Step, uh, what do they say? that The steps keep you from suicide and the traditions keep you from homicide. Um, the traditions are there to help me play nicely with the rest of, people, the rest of the people in AA who I need to stay alive. AA is not something I do in a solitary way, in my room, on my own, thinking about it. That is not how it works for me. AA works for me by, place, by placing me in a bunch of other people. I dissolve into the group and while I'm there, everything is fine, again. And the traditions enable me to do that. And then the concepts enable me to get stuff done with other people in the service structure. So intergroup in a region and I'm on a national subcommittee and I'm a conference delegate. So I've seen the concepts applied at all of those levels of service. But Tradition 6, um, so the, the, I think it goes together very closely with Tradition 5. So Tradition 5, we've got to stick to our primary purpose, which is which is um, staying sober ourselves and, and helping other people to achieve sobriety. And the way my 
home group uh, does that is to concentrate, as this one does pretty firmly, on the bread and butter of AA, which is the, the, the steps and the traditions. Um, uh, I went to a restaurant in France once where, I won't tell you, the full. there's a full version, I'll give you the short version. Uh, it was the end of lunchtime, tiny little restaurant. We went in and the man who was running it, it was the number one restaurant in Montpellier. It was this, out of 900 restaurants, it was the number one. It was this tiny little hole in the wall place with just a chef who was also the waiter who also did the washing up. And we were coming just as he was about to close. And we said, what can you offer us for lunch? And he told us the dish that he could offer us for lunch. And we said, is there anything else? He said, there is nothing else. If you want lunch, that's what there is. I offer, to, I offer it to you freely. You choose. And we had it. It was amazing. And AA is much like that. The, the steps are suggested. We're not going to force anyone to take them. But there's literally nothing else on offer. I mean, you can hang around here forever. And we're so glad. But there is literally nothing else. Um, and that'll work for some people. If it works for you, wonderful. Didn't work for me. Um, so primary purpose is sticking to that. And tradition six says, oh, by the way, there's a bunch of other stuff you want to steer clear of. And I think it's testament to the power of AA that most of the stories that you get in the 12 and 12 about where AA went wrong in the first 20 years, they just don't happen on that scale anymore. But there are some little tradition six things which do happen. The first thing, <coughs> my home group has quite, quite a strong social function. Um, we get there early, we chat to each other, we go for dinner afterwards. But we've been very wary of bringing the social function too far within the group conscience. So we've never decided in a group conscience meeting, for instance, where we go for dinner afterwards. It's just decided by convention and tradition. Um, you know, we seem to go to a particular place. There have been times we go to four or five different restaurants. Now we go to, one. but we stick. We keep the group business, the group business of running a group, which is about how Alcoholics Anonymous helps alcoholics stay sober and function in society. The potential for argument on just going for dinner is so huge. Let's just keep that out of the room. <laughs> So we do, sometimes there are 40 people at dinner, and it works because we haven't had to decide it as a group. Um, other, other things as well, um, AA conventions, according to the AA service structure in this country, to call it an AA convention, it's got to be answerable to an intergroup or a region or indeed to the general service board. Why? In, if something goes wrong, the fellowship needs to be able to act through the intergroup or the region to take control of the finances, to replace, if necessary, all the people who are running the convention. And that has ha sometimes had to happen, and it's saved the day. If something is outside the service structure, there is no mechanism to fix problems if they arise. And there have been problems in other countries, uh, I'm not going to name <laughs> exactly where and when, but where there were conventions held outside the AA service structure, which had the AA name, because it was, you know, AA content, so they gave it an AA name. Bills weren't paid. Uh, places which had been AA venues for 50 years shut their doors to AA because the place wasn't looked after by the convention. 
um, stuff getting into the newspapers. This, these traditions are there for a reason, and I'm really glad that in this country to call something an AA convention, it is under the supervision of the entire fellowship which delegates the authority to supervise that through the intergroup, through the region, so you can trust that it's being looked after by people who are not personally involved in it, and I love that. And the last thing, sometimes there are problems in service with, uh, uh, sometimes it happens when meetings are held in institutions like um, treatment centres or prisons. It's incredibly important for the punters, whether it's prisoners or, or, or patients or at the posher end of the treatment centre, clients. Um, for AA not to be muddled in the minds of the people there, with whatever the institution is. So if the institution is tarnished, AA isn't tarnished, and vice versa. And so I always make it really clear when I'm going to treatment centres that we're not affiliated with the treatment centre, we're not paid by them, they're not telling us what to do, they're not telling us what to say, we're not even letting them in the room. Yeah. That's how separate we are. And that enables us to be able to say what we need to say. We say nothing about the treatment centre, we just tell our own story. And it means that someone's experience of AA is a clean experience. Um, but behind all this is this idea of uh, sticking to my primary purpose in my own life, a basic spiritual principle. Uh, my ego is sticky. Whatever I do, my ego is likely to get attached to it. And the solution to alcoholism that I learned through the steps that was given to me by many different sponsors over the years is... Uh, now, I, I don't mind what your higher power is, whether you have one or not, but I do. And my job is to do what I believe that higher power wants me to do, whether you think that's God or the spirit of the universe or the power of good or whatever. doesn't matter. Or your conscience. <clears throat> my job is to do that to the best of my ability. If I do, if I perform those actions to the best of my ability, I literally cannot fail. There is nothing that can go wrong because whatever I manage to do is the best of my ability that day. I can't shoot above the level I'm at. I can't operate above whatever level I'm at. That's the level I'm supposed to be at. I literally cannot fail. <clears throat> as soon as my identity gets attached to anything outside of myself, my nationality, my background, my job, my history, my, my length of sobriety. As soon as it's attached to anything in the world, those things in the world are vulnerable, I'm now vulnerable. When my job starts to, if I have a bad day at work and my performance isn't very good, if my identity is attached to that performance, my identity hits the floor. When someone criticizes you and your stomach feels like it's dropped two feet, that's what's going on. My identity is tied up with something in the world which goes up and down and up and down. And for me to be free, I need to be detached from all of those things. So my higher power will parachute me into those activities to do what needs to be done and then parachute me back out again. And what I've had to learn to do to be peaceful, to act effectively in the world and maintain my poise and balance and equilibrium is to learn detachment, which means the business that I get on with in the world is not my business, it's the business of my higher power. I'm delegated a particular task, then I hand it back to my higher power afterwards. 
I can always tell when I'm um, dependent on something else or I'm reliant on something else by some symptoms. And those symptoms are worry and depression and guilt and fear and anger. Those are always a sign that there's an attachment. My identity, my purpose, my function has got glued to something which is fragile in the world. And I need to pull back, rest inside my higher power and act from inside that strength. And when I can stick to that, I have a good day. Thanks for listening. Thank you.